All right, we have Ken Andruco on the show. For those unaware of who you are, longtime fitness enthusiast, but you own the Reebok CrossFit Ramsey, one of the first quote unquote Reebok CrossFits way back when was that? 2010, 11? Uh, yeah, God, it would have been, uh, I think it is 2011. Yeah. Yeah. I remember when Reebok kind of came in, they helped me with one of my boxes, uh, Clifton Park. And, but you're also, the reason I wanted to talk to you is you're, you're a mentor. I suppose a lot of people can use that word that they're a mentor, but I think it's one of those grandiose terms that a lot of people slap on their credentials, but you are in fact, someone that I would consider a real mentor. In other words, I've had conversations with you you work with people that I know, that I trust. So it, you're someone that, that I value and I respect you and your opinion and I'm excited to have you on today. Well, I appreciate that. You know, uh, I've, I've always been reluctant, uh, a reluctant mentor, I guess. Um, and when someone someday called me a mentor, I was like, what does that really mean? And then I, I kind of, went back over the course of my career and I realized, God, I've been mentoring people for a long time. Um, people show up on my doorstep, whether it be virtually or physically and ask me a lot of questions and I give them a lot of advice that they take action on and actually get progress. So I'm like, huh, I guess I've been doing that for free for a long time. And, and I actually really, 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 really have a lot of passion for it. It's, I, I would say, it's a unique ability of mine. But do you ever have imposter syndrome? Because I think at, as you say that, that's kind of what I'm feeling myself. Like you, maybe not as many, but I get a lot of people reaching out, especially in the affiliate world. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's twofold. Sometimes I'm like, why do people always ask me these questions? Like these are like real tough questions and, you know, life questions. And I think part of it for me is I forget the fact that I'm now 42. Like I still feel like this 21 year old kid that knows nothing, um, you know, and then, and, and all of my experience, but I'm always like, man, they, they should go to someone smarter than me. I don't know when that changes. Did that change for you at some point? Is that kind of what you're alluding to? I don't know that it ever changes because I think that guys like us that are, are always very ambitious is that we're always pushing the limit of our capability. And so our, our, our ambitions are always above our capabilities, right? Like when you think about wanting to grow your business, you're, you're growing, you think about it well beyond your current level, which means you're above your capabilities. And that means you've got to either reach out and find other people to help elevate your capabilities. Um, more often than not, what tends to happen is people begin to procrastinate because it's, they don't know how to get above it. And that's where you see people stall out, right? So to come back to your question about like imposter syndrome, I'm always pushing my, my capability limits, which means that I'm always wondering if I'm capable to make this statement, whatever that statement might be, or give this advice. And there was a time uh, where I was in the midst of giving a, 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 a bit of advice to a gym owner. And I, I, I don't remember exactly who it was. Um, 
I remember the conversation. I just can't remember who it was, but it's not important. I literally had an out of body moment where I was giving this advice and it was so appropriate. I, I looked down upon the conversation and I was like, where the hell did that come from? Like, how did you know to say that? And that's where I realized I've been through a lot. I've done a lot of things. I've made a lot of mistakes and I've paid attention along the way. That gives me the ability to give that advice. Well, that was something your partner, Eric mentioned. And the title of the show was Savvy Through Failure. Mm-hmm. You know, and that was a quote that Eric had said during the the interview. And I think a lot of great mentors, and I think for a lot of people, it's like we we admire the people that have gone through it, that have been experienced for the, you know, for the same reason. And we can talk about today. It's like the new CEO, CEO of CrossFit. From what the chatter I'm getting so far, and it's been like two hours is, wow, like he looks like he does CrossFit and he cares about it. And it's like, you know, so you for a lot of people, you, you have that, or, you know, I watch a lot of mixed martial arts and people respect the ones that have been in the cage and done it themselves. So, you know, you, but you can only get that experience with a lot of failure along the way. Yeah. So you, you mentioned before we hit record the state of the methodology of CrossFit. That is something I would love to dive into with you because you've been around the CrossFit methodology for a very long time. What, what did you mean by that when you, when you mentioned it? Well, publicly, CrossFit has been in, in use since 2000. And it, long before that, it was in use in, in Greg um, and Lauren's um, world of personal training and you know, running the gym. Um, and I, as far as the methodology goes, I, I don't think there's been a lot of change. In that time frame, at least not from an organized, centrally organized perspective, like Greg saying, you know, look, this wasn't meant to be done this way. We should do this way, or we can grow it that way. the the con The open concept of CrossFit was always like gather a bunch of like-minded people around it, and it will improve. Well, I don't think it's improved. I think it's actually degraded in a sense that what does a typical CrossFit class look like now? It's, it's got about four hours of work crammed into an hour. In a lot yeah, of no, Well, and, and I agree with you. What you're saying is I, I think the methodology, like you said, hasn't changed. I mean, let's call it constantly varied functional movements at high intensity, the definition of CrossFit. The only thing that's really changed about the methodology is this idea that more is better. But the actual methodology itself, like you said, is the same. Since, you know, the first workout was February 10, 2001. And yeah, if you look back, you can start back then and get a very similar program that you would be getting today. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? If it had stayed that way, Jason. It so would have been a, good, a reasonably good thing. Are you saying it's, it's changed since then? It, it's changed in the sense that the methodology or the elegant, however Greg had always termed it, this elegant solution is still elegant and still very simple. And it changed the way people worked together 
and it improved the desired result. That never changed. And I think that's a good thing. The problem is, is that there was never any centralized approach to the changes that started to happen in the community to jump to today where you see classes that have more is better. And exactly. And, and I, I think what we're seeing is a massive spike in, you know, joint injuries, mobility problems, uh, chronic um, uh, desire to always push yourself to the limit, um, you know, cortisol addictions, like all of this stuff. It is not, it is not the intention. Like back in the day, remember like the workout was five by five back squat today. Thanks well, and I, 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 I stand by that. If you do that right, you don't want to do more than that. I don't want to do more than that after my third set. Three sets, I'm like, that's plenty. But, and I was having this conversation with my wife this morning, you know, the announcement of the new CEO. And, and I've talked about it recently a little bit, like love him or hate him. And that's not what we're here to talk about. Coach Glassman created a very free market. And, you know, based on what we're talking about, that's part of the good and bad, right? The, the pro is do what you want. The bad is do what you want. But now we have this new CEO. And, and my, what I was telling her was this new CEO owns a company called True Coach based out of Boulder, which is basically an app tracker for personal training that I've used in the past. I think it's a fine app. But I said, what if he says, hey, every affiliate, that's the app you have to use, right? So Coach Glassman allowed us to do so much. You know, you go into any gym and, you know, Orange Theory, for example, I've never been in one, but I assume they all have the same rowers. They all have the same treadmills. They all have the same colors where you can buy from Rogue, you can buy from Titan, you can buy from Maverick, whatever different equipment company you want. So Coach Glassman created this amazing thing but he also created this problem right what what is what we're talking about what what is the next step what do we do from here about that yeah i, I think there's you know a lot of people making all sorts of different decisions you know wait it out stay affiliated leave affiliation um but the the fitness industry as a whole and, and CrossFit is still just a very small part of that, is, is about to change a lot. And if you look at the large scale brands like 24 Hour Fitness, Golds, et cetera, you know, while they've announced their, their insolvency um, plans, they're, they're really saying is we're gonna, we're gonna pivot and come back to something new. And I think that something new is gonna look a lot smaller. And I think it's going to look a lot more high touch. Um, and they're going to have a lot more, you know, higher value trainers in those environments and, and small group trainings and all this different stuff. Um, you know, I recently shut my gym down uh, not to be reopened because I didn't We're a, We were a big gym. Um, uh, and it was a CrossFit gym. But uh, my belief was when this all reopens, we were no longer a viable business because I didn't think, and I still don't 
believe that a lot of people would come back. I work with a lot of gyms around the world and those that are reopening are seeing two thirds of their, their members come back. And the other third not. Um, we saw a 300% increase in at-home gym equipment sales um, within the first month of COVID. Um, we started teaching people remotely and coaching them remotely, teaching them that they could actually get a good workout at home with minimal equipment. So we're, we're, what we were doing was setting them up for the next evolution of the fitness industry. I, I think this is, yeah, this is a really, it's a turning point in the fitness industry. I mean, I love the community of CrossFit. I miss going to a box, but at the same time, it's to me, when you look at just risk reward right now, it's not there. Right. Like I have, I have all the equipment I need. Um, you know, I have my wife that we can work out together. I think a lot of people are going to see that. And a lot of people are going to see, the convenience of training at home as well as the cost. Like there's an upfront cost. I mean, you, you know this, I mean, for, for $2,000 or less, you can have more equipment than you will ever need in your garage. Yep. And that probably includes either a rower or a salt bike, a squat rack and bumpers. That's all and you need. that's it. I mean, that's probably more. And that's less than a year of gym membership at most CrossFit's. You know, so, so for, and you have this valuable asset now of gym equipment that multiple people can use and, you know, et cetera. So do you think, I mean, we're off topic of the methodology, but do you think this is just the fitness industry is never going to be the same? Or do you think in six months, five years, we're back to everyone's in the gym again? I don't, I don't, I, I think it's going to change forever. Um, I, I think that if we go back to like the narrow focus of CrossFit, I think what people are recognizing um, both on the client side and on the coach owner side <clears throat> is that there needs to be more personal coaching involved in the relationship to make sure that people stay either injury free or have their have those aches and pains that they've been struggling through and not been coached to 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 fix only scaled to fix or avoid um i think that is where the crossfit model needs to go or the crossfit like model needs to go i i think a lot more personal training customer custom programming that can be done in a, in a small class setting and then community workouts at the end of class is probably the model that most should move to. I like that. So you're suggesting, you know, say a 60 minute class, maybe we do some sort of group warm up, or if yep. not, maybe it's very specific for the call it 20 to 30 minute piece that's based on your goals and your weaknesses. Yep. And then we regroup to do a, a Metcon, the conditioning peach, which, which, I've said all along, doesn't matter so long as you're moving with intensity. Yep. I mean, conditioning yep. is conditioning. Um, I, I, I agree with that. And I think there are some, some places that are kind of doing that, but yeah, maybe that is going to allow 
you know, people to still get this individualized feel within a group setting. Yeah. And, and I think it starts with, you know, a number of, you know, reasonably spaced one-on-one -on -one sessions with a coach to define what you really need. Some, some testing protocols to understand mobility issues. Um, and then, then moving to this custom programming piece, because now you know what you need and we can provide it with a community workout at the end, but then you, that you still see your coach one-on-one -on -one once or twice a month from that point forward. And that kind of model looks like about five to $600 a month per, per client. Now you need a lot less clients. Yeah, I think a lot of gyms are seeing that and, and, and slowly shifting to that model. Um, and, you know, we've had other people on that are helping, you know, they're at the forefront of that. But yeah, you know, I think, what would you say to someone though, as a box owner or the gym owner, that's like, I can't ask that much. Because I know that's why you, you and Eric, when I was working with you guys as my mentors in the past would always, and that's where that imposter syndrome comes in. And I think a lot of boxes have that. I would throw something out there. And one of the first things I'd hear was you're not charging enough. That's, yep. that's too cheap. That's not, what do you say to someone who owns a box and you're telling them, Hey, your price right now is 150. That's expensive, but I need you to quadruple it. Mm -hmm. What's your advice there? Understand how to increase your value. And if you're a, if you're a community box where it's all about the community, you, everyone's going to come in and do the workouts. It's going to be hard for you. And the way that you're going to increase your value is to get education on how to truly help those people, help your clients. Look, I, I, I owned a box. Uh, so officially affiliated in 2005, but I've been running a gym since 2001. So I've, I've been working with clients for 18 years. I had, you know, I've client, had clients that were with us for 10, 12, 13 years. And the way that we help them, because I'm not, you know, I don't have the, the greatest education to solve, you know, shoulder, hip, knee, ankle problems, um, was to kind of scale workouts for them and allow them to still participate and have fun. But at some point, that gets pretty frustrating on the client side. So what has to happen to be able to deliver more value is you need to educate your, yourself and your staff to be able to identify and solve those problems so that you can increase the long-term retention of that client. That's it. That's how you get more value. Educate yourself, get a system and start using it. And you know, as well as I do that, when people start seeing results and feeling the results and people are noticing there's no amount of money that they're not willing to pay. I mean, this is an, and I mean, with respect to the pandemic and specifically Corona or COVID, I wish the government would come out and say things like that. Hey, one of the best things you can do is be healthy. 
Yeah, like yeah. it's it's still mind blowing that they're not like, hey, try to get eight hours of sleep, eat some fruits and vegetables, you know, wear a mask when you when you're out. But at the same time, it's like they don't want to get the world healthier. No, Jason, because there's no money in that. Well, there's money for the affiliates and for gym owners, right? But not, no, but yeah. Think, think about the world, how it operates. Like the world of pharmaceuticals and healthcare, as much yeah. as they complain about how much it costs, trust me, the tax dollars that it brings in negates the fact that they make any change. Yeah, just, you know, I'm, I'm hoping the, the world is, is realizing that. Like the, the best, precaution you can take for future outbreaks of any of this is be a healthier human being and you know don't go out to dinner a few times a month and save that money and give it to your boxer you know whatever gym you're going to support so let's let's talk you know this is the day of the new announcement of the ceo you are Mm -hmm. someone that i would say probably considered themselves at least a, a probably a friend with coach glassman would you yeah i mean friendly yeah friendly what's your opinion on this on the new ceo yeah not on a personal level but on the you know what this means to to crossfit and and the future of it well i think it's it's better than it was yesterday (laughs) um i i i i don't know any of the the background what i can tell you from my experience is that the relationship between CrossFit HQ and the affiliate has been broken for years. The lack of respect, the lack of attention, the lack of response from HQ to affiliates has been dire for a long time. The inability to understand that the CrossFit Games was not helpful. In fact, it was hurtful to the affiliate community uh, from a business perspective, has gone unnoticed and talked about and addressed for way too long. And what I mean by that is in like 2012, when the CrossFit Games started to like accelerate in popularity, it got harder to get people in the door. Not only got harder to get people in the door, but the people that were in the door became worse to deal with. A hundred percent. So, but with that being said, I think Coach Glassman deserves a little bit of praise there where those that were diehards into the competitiveness, which I never was, I was always, this is bad for affiliates, just like you're suggesting. He's the one that pulled the reins back, Mm -hmm. but the vocal minority were the ones that were mad at him, you know, regionals is gone. And it's like, no one cares about you being the 100th fittest person in your County. You know what I mean? Like, and, but he got so much backlash for that. And really, in addition to pulling the reins back on these mediocre fitness athletes and letting the fittest compete, he opened it up to the world. I mean, I judged people from India and Saudi Arabia last year at the games where prior to that, it was like, America, Canada, and maybe Australia. Yeah. So, I mean, I think he deserves a little more for that. Then, then you know, obviously he's not going to get a lot of credit right now, given the circumstances, but, but I, I agree with you. The games took off and it, and it was bad for the community long-term 
and it, I think we would obviously given everything is including the pandemic, the games are at a different place this year, but aside from that, what, what other feelings do you, do you have there? Well, I mean, those are my feelings of experience, right? That, that's the stuff that I thought about experienced um, along the way, the lack of, of communication from HQ during COVID-19 where all of their businesses around the world were shut down and they had no empathy, that's a big problem. And so if this new CEO coming, new owner coming in addresses those things, then we're in a much better place. And I hope they do, I really do. And I think they need an absolute cleansing of those that were a part of the old system. Look, you know, I don't know Dave very well uh, at all. Um, I've met him a couple of times at events that I, I was the CrossFit uh, media director for Western Canada for uh, 2012. Um, and uh, He's not a nice, he, he wasn't a nice guy. Yeah, people have their, you know, it, beliefs on everyone in the system. And then, of course, with Andy Stump's podcast, I think that shed yeah. a little light into everything. I, you know, there, there was a call earlier and there was probably 200 people on it from HQ with the CEO. Um, I didn't stay on the call, but I'd be anxious to see if there is going to be some sort of purge or not. And, and, and what the outcome of that would be. Um, what are some of the first things you would want him to do? I mean, like you mentioned, I mean, I think it's a little, maybe not too late for a COVID talk, but there certainly could be a, you know, talk about the Black Lives Matter movement and racism. I mean, that's still something that's been avoided by CrossFit. It's a hard, it's a hard conversation to do well at, <laughs> right? Like if you don't have it, it's a problem if you do have it. It's potentially a problem because you could say just the wrong whatever. Um, you, you, you know, the, the best way is always to speak from your soul and your heart, what you truly believe. Um, but it's a, it's, a tough, it's a tough conversation to have. I, 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 think what, I think what CrossFit should really do is bring in experts um, that understand about how to run one of these businesses profitably, um, how to reopen effectively, how to pivot to be profitable from whatever the, your current model is. If it's just 100% group classes, how do you pivot to a profitable model? Because that is not um, in large part. Um, I think bringing in experts in a bunch of different fields to begin to raise up the conversation about all of these things is, is probably priority number one. Because CrossFit doesn't have all the, like as an organization, does not have all those answers. They are not in the grassroots driving traffic to the door. They don't understand how to do that. What's your thought on the fact that, you know, we're affiliates, you know, the 13, 15, however many thousand affiliates there are. And I've always said affiliates have high expectations to the point that they're almost entitled. You know, back when you and I started, our, our fees were $500 and they were grandfathered in for the length of my box ownership. 
a thousand for some now three thousand but even at that three thousand dollar price point you know it's it's still a lot of money but com- comparatively to to a franchise or other affiliates it's very low yeah but the expectations of affiliate owners are i want this and i want that where where is the middle ground or where where do you feel you're you're suggesting crossfit needs to repair that and i agree with you but what's reasonable to expect i think a a reasonable expectation is based upon they've got critical mass if they've got 10,000 gyms let's uh, that's like super conservative um and each is paying on average uh you know, $1,500 a year, plus all of the educational components. So they're still a very buoyant company uh, from a, from a cash flow perspective. Um, I think at the very least, what would be very helpful for CrossFit affiliates is best practices guide. That's reasonable. I think that's something that, you know, and you know, funny thing is I know if, um, somebody would oppose that to coach Glassman, he would have been like, cool, write it, put it out there. If it's good, people will buy it. If it's good, people will support right. it. So yeah, and the, the, ecosystem, the ecosystem of CrossFit has spawned off tons of, uh, you know, coaching companies, mentorship companies. I won't name any names, but, you know, there's a ton of them out there. Um, I don't, I'm not sure that they, they work. I mean, what has to happen is the affiliate needs to take the prescribed action to make it happen. Like the advice is great. Maybe not everyone's got great advice, but a lot of it's good, but you got to take action. And you can't do that from a vacuum in the grand sense of the community of CrossFit affiliates. If they adopted change to how to operate their business, then you got a better thing then you have a better thing. And I'm not saying like you have to, you know, it's not a franchise model where you have to buy this and you have to do that and you got to get the new fry machine and new, you know, the, the McFlurry is now the thing. So you got to get that. It's not that. And you got to buy all that shit from the same person. It isn't that it's what are the best practices? Who are the experts that you guys look to? And how do we make use of them? Um, and I think there's a lot of great ones out there, like, and, and it maybe not within the CrossFit world, like the new CEO, Eric might know people outside that world in the business consulting side of things that would be hugely impactful for, for boxes. Right. Like I, I used to, I, I mentored a lot of gyms over the years, um, you know, successfully and not so successfully. And it all depends on whether or not they take action. I, I mentor a lot of different uh, entrepreneurs right now. Very few are in the gym world. Very few. I spend most of my time in other areas of, of, of business and, and industries and, and so on. But the bottom line is this, Jason, that they're all struggling with the same things. It's a business. And how to meld business and lifestyle and relationships and purpose all together. You better have some help because it's, it's not easy. It's well, simple, let's, but not easy. 
And, and let's talk about that. So, so your company with Eric Malzone is level five mentors. Yep. What are some of the most common reasons that people come to you for mentorship and for advice and for business growth? Yeah, I, I think the, the, the main interest coming in the door is, is always, we have something that is grown from an idea to this level, whatever that level might be. But we've been at this level for a while now and we're stuck. And we wanna scale, but don't know how to scale. That's the number one thing. Um, and that happens in, uh, you know, online coaching, it happens in gyms, it happens in software companies, at real estate companies, you name it, everyone runs into that problem at some point. And it, and it goes back to a little bit about what I said earlier about when you hit that capability ceiling and you don't know how to get beyond it, you stall. You know, ambition is the, the, uh, the first symptom of procrastination. Ambition is the first symptom of procrastination, yeah. meaning, meaning because you're ambitious, you're going to set too many obstacles along the way, or meaning you're just off in la-la land thinking about it and not actually doing it. If you're ambitious, you've outgrown your current set of capabilities. And if you do, don't do something to increase your level of capability through education or um, uh, collaboration with others, you're going to procrastinate because you don't know how to get past it or you'll make some horrible mistakes. <laughs> at least you're, at least you're moving in one direction though. Right. So and, if and, you make and mistakes and you fail fast, that's great because that is also going to increase your, your capability. But most people, they just keep looking at the ceiling going, shit, what do I do tomorrow? Cause I didn't do much today. Well, and you said something interesting that I think people don't realize is, is important. Failing fast is more important than failing slowly. Yes. Right? I mean, because you're talking three months versus three years of your time. Yeah. And then all of a sudden you're, you're back to square one either way. So this is why I'm sure you believe this, hence the company, but I believe it too. Everyone needs a mentor. 100%. So if someone's listening and they're interested in it, you know, working for you or, or working with you or working with anyone, what are some of the questions you would encourage them to ask their, the, their future mentor, you know, if they're uh, applying for a few different coaches or talking to a few different people, what are some solid questions that they should be asking? I think it's more about understanding that whoever you're looking to for help, um, that you understand that they share with you honestly their mistakes. What are the you know what are the things that you failed at? The success is always right out there, right? Like it's it's out in the open for people to see because that's what people talk about. But it's not the thing that's important. So find out where they failed and how they've grown and learned from that failure. I think also. If, they're, if the mentor is not willing to spend time getting to know you and ask you a lot of questions, I think that's a, that's a critical 
um, moment where you decide that's probably not the right person for you. Um, my, my way of, of starting to work with someone has always been, I want to spend time with you so that I can understand how you think so that I can figure out whether or not I can help. That's important because, because a lot of these mentors, you know, and I say it in quotes because they're just people like anyone else just trying to make money and, and earn income and they will take any future mentee regardless right. if they truly feel they can help them because they're paying for in some cases, you know, tens of thousands of dollars. Yeah. And that's from my side of working with people. If I've chosen to work with the wrong person, that's really painful. So I load myself up front with as much as, you know, three or four hours of, of investigation. Um, and the, the cool part is, is that the client or, or the potential client will get a lot of value from that time because I'm already working for them to try to help unlock them to move forward while I'm trying to figure out how they think. You're probably asking a lot of thought-provoking questions and getting them to yeah. journal or write things. Or, you know, sometimes it's frustrating. You ask me a question and it's like, man, I need to think really hard about that answer if I want to get the value out of me, out of this relationship. Yeah. Well, look, you and I have talked, you know, for a number of hours over the last couple of years. And there were moments there where you were like, shit. Like your brain was like, boom, why didn't I think of it that way? And that's the value of objective, um, having an objective person on the other end of the conversation. And especially those who are not scared to tell you how it is or how they think it is. Well, you need that. If you're paying a mentor, you're paying someone a lot of money, I don't need to be you know, fluffed. I want you to tell me what I'm doing wrong and what I can be doing better and shoot it straight. And I think for a lot of people that have had success in the past, all of a sudden, when they get a mentor, they get someone that is telling them, Hey, you know, you're surrounding yourself with yes men to some extent. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden you have someone who's telling you the, the truth and you don't want to hear it. Yeah. Yeah. I spent a lot of time with my clients just before we started talking, I was on with a, with an entire team. Um, getting teams to work better together too, right? That's like, very important. Yeah, what? and and I ask really tough questions in front of the founder, entrepreneur, owner of that business in front of their team. So you're making them feel vulnerable. Very, yeah. But they have to agree to that before we start. Otherwise, there's no point. Right, you're not going to... I'm not. I'm not trying to make them look bad. I'm trying to get them to grow. Yeah, I think that's a, that's tremendously important. And for a lot of business owners, they they feel as if they need to be above these employees or their team when really they need to show their vulnerability. And in, in many respects, I'm sure that allows their team to, to feel more confident and feel like more um, in line with them. Yeah. So if yeah. someone's interested in, in, in learning more from you, finding out if you are a good fit, how can they go about doing that? Uh, that's a good question. 
<laughs> well, you can uh, always Google. Just Google Ken Andruko, and I'm sure you'll find something. Yeah, I think, I think you can go to level5mentors.com and find us. Um, you can, you'll put this in show notes or something. Yes, yes, I will. I'm just checking out yeah. and see if that link works. Uh, yes, um, it is. It's you, because I can tell by that logo, which I like. And Eric, uh, you, and Eric just popped up in my uh, chat box. So yes, level oh, five, cool. number five. Yep, number five. And you could also find me at uh, Ken at level5mentors.com. Yeah, and for those listening, for whether you're, I mean, we get primarily affiliate owners, primarily CrossFitters, but I'm telling you now you need a mentor, whether you choose Ken or somebody else out there, you, you need it. I'm a big fan of going with someone who's, like we said earlier, kind of walk the walk and talk the talk, which you've done. And um, anything else you want to throw out there before we wrap up? Yeah, I think that that I would encourage affiliates uh, to increase their education um, outside of uh, of just um, focusing on CrossFit level one, two, three, and whatever else is out there. What would you uh, recommend? We we talk to people a lot about that. What would you maybe your top two or three outside courses? My my number one at the moment is uh, Active Life. That's funny you mentioned Sean because he was one of the people I was talking about earlier, uh, and I speak to Sean almost every day. He's a he's a great human being. Yeah. Um, Full disclosure: I, I do a lot of work with Sean's company. Um, but I, I didn't realize that. Yeah. I do a lot of work with them because I love what they're doing. It fits perfectly with where things are going. I believe um, their education is exceptional. Um, and you will watch, listen, I had a, I have a gym client, um, who's in Fargo, North Dakota. Sean actually told me about this guy. Yeah. Like girl, 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 but the box signed up and like the first day made like some, I don't want to quote the number, but yeah. So let me tell you more than paid for. Yeah. She was in partnership with a partner, uh, they decided to go separate ways. Uh, she bought the gym from the partner three days before the COVID shutdown. And then we worked on how to like, how to make, you know, how to retain your clients and what kind of value you need to, to, to deliver during this time and all this stuff. They, they did well, they did well. Um, all of, in all of this time, she had already done immersion with an active life then signed up for ProPath, and which by the way is not inexpensive. It's, oh, it's, it's $27,000. Yeah, but it's, it's a year long thing, and it's actually multi-year, because you re-up every, every year. And, 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 for the, and for the record, my partner, Jason Fernandez, is, is within the ProPath right now. So, I mean, to, to show the listeners, everyone loves Fern, respects Fern, even though we, go, we goof on each other but he's doing this. I mean, so, I mean, we're, we're, and he paid for it out of his pocket. Yeah. Sean didn't give us, you know, anything. And, and if I owned an affiliate currently, I would be doing it. I've, I've, yeah. I pass over a lot of people to Sean. Yeah. So what's interesting was, so she signed up, she had her uh, first call and then did the discovery call with Sean and he gave them a goal to, to sell some personal training to their existing members within less than a week, which means less than seven days, 
They had never sold personal training before. They did $30,000. Yeah, that's the number that he told me. And, and here's the interesting part that no one really thinks about. Yes, that's a big number. The coaches were the ones doing the selling, and they didn't believe in the process before starting it. I can tell you now that has all changed well, overnight. And, and I think we have mutual friends, my buddies in Cayman, uh, Chris Spigner. Oh, yeah. I, I don't know if you know him. He's a longtime friend. Um, and, and, and they use him at Seven Mile Fitness, cross, you know, Seven Mile CrossFit. He, he's making over six figures as a coach. He's not an owner, at, you know, at the box. Um, I've, got, I've got quite a few friends. And I'm, I'm helping Sean out a little bit, too. So if someone's listening to this and they want to learn more, hit me up personally. You can DM us on the best hour Instagram or, or shoot us an email best hour of their day at Gmail. Happy to kind of be the liaison between you and Sean if you're listening. Um, so definitely check that out. Do you have another course that you'd recommend or book or, or something? I mean, you're just someone, well, you're well, to, to me, someone I look up to. So I always want to get, open your head up a little bit and get inside there. The, the book that I recommend first and always is uh, The Go-Giver by Bob Berg. Uh, that book changed my life. Uh, I was always someone who uh, spent their life giving, um, giving of my time and my effort and, and you know, being philanthropic and all this stuff. Um, but I was always very uncomfortable receiving praise or, you know, return of value. And I always be like, no, oh, no, it's all right. I read that book, it changed everything for me. And um, that's, that's one book I really love. Uh, and I, I would recommend it for anyone in business or life for that matter. And the other one I really, really, really like, it's made a big difference for me in how I operate is a book called A Beautiful Constraint. Um, operating within self-imposed constraints can be extremely powerful. And I'll give you a quick example. I moved from always being available to work to only being available three and a half days a week. I know that about you. Yeah, you, 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 uh, you're like a recluse sometimes. You're just so out in the mountains, untouchable, no internet. I like it. Yeah. And uh, that, three, that change for me increased my productivity and my income dramatically. And most importantly, my enjoyment of life. When people ask me like, what's your, what's your number one goal? And my answer is always this. My goal is to make my wife's dreams come true. My wife has amazing values. She's got great dreams. And if I can make them come true, then I'm a pretty happy guy. I'm writing that down, Ken. And part of that is living in, out in the mountain. What's that? I said, I'm writing that down. So if you hear me typing, I'm just writing down some of the knowledge bombs you're dropping. But that was perhaps the most important. Yeah, you know, look, because of her dreams, we have a second home in the mountains on a river that we can fish on. We can ride snowmobiles and dirt bikes at our back door into the back country. We have great neighbors from all around the world. Uh, like that's because it was her dream to be out here. This 
20 minutes from here is the town she was born in. Um, we have a ski resort 20 minutes away. Like well, this is this is where it is for the rest of my life. We we have a similar path. My wife, last you and I spoke, I was living in Florida. Now we're in Boulder, Colorado. Similar path, right? So, you know, I, I never looked at it with that sentiment in mind of my goal is to make my wife's dreams come true. But uh, happy wife, happy life at the same uh <laughs> If if your focus is that, think about the way that she sees you. Right, you're just making how that her... makes you feel. Yeah, oh, I like it. I think that was great. I think that is the. Uh, the I always like to find uh, something that they that came out of this interview as the title. Like I suggested with Eric, savvy through failure. I, I love that for you because I think it's really good summary. You know, some somebody looks at at you who's been successful. And they, they think to themselves, oh, type A and head down and this and that. And it's like, no, you, you don't get there like that. You get there through making other people's dreams come true. You got it. 100%. I love it. I love it, Ken. Well, thank you so much for coming on. I hope people check you out, Level 5 Mentors. And they can email you. They can always email me if they have questions. But always a pleasure talking to you. You're someone over the last couple of years that I've learned to really respect a lot. So I appreciate your time. and you know, out of your three and a half days of work coming on the podcast. So, so thank you so much, Ken. Well, I appreciate you a ton, Jason. We don't get to hang out enough anymore, but uh, we should, we should fix that. Hey, you have me at that house. I'll, I'll, I'll be there dirt biking right along you and the wife. Beauty. Let's do it. Thanks again for listening to best hour of their day. If you haven't already do us a favor head over to the Apple Podcast app and leave us a review. We'd love to hear from you if you have any questions, comments, concerns, feedback for either Fern or myself. Hit us up, day at gmail.com or send us a DM over on Instagram at besthouroftheirday. Once again, we couldn't do this without the amazing community and you are a part of it. Thanks for listening. Thanks for supporting Best Hour of Their Day.